Hey, real quick, Eric from Tap That AZ. Go to patreon.com forward slash tap that AZ. Join the Patreon team and you get to binge listen to all seven episodes of this Cicerone series. Also, free shirts, swag bags, stickers, cool stuff, early access to episodes. Go check it out. Patreon.com forward slash tap that AZ. Make sure you guys check out Inkle Dew. These guys are awesome. Buy their coffee. It's awesome. You're awesome. Bye. Welcome again to the Sissified miniseries, everyone. We uh, we get real deep in this one. This is beer ingredients and the brewing process. This is section four of the Cicerone Certified Beer Server Syllabus. And we are joined by Marshall over at Simple Machine. And I have to be honest, this was probably one of my favorite recordings because I am the roaster over at Inkledew, and I like to get nerdy. So Marshall is very open to getting into the science and so if you're as nerdy about uh, ingredients and the brewing process as I am and I think you're going to get a lot out of this episode so we are here at uh, I would say this is the newest is this the newest brewery in Arizona currently yeah yeah currently. that's awesome man on the ground floor yeah again you were right like if I had like a jet pack I could jet pack straight across the airport and and just be and be here in like three minutes. Well, if you had a jetpack, you could do a lot more than that. Like yeah, that. You I feel sure. like if you had a jetpack, using your jetpack to fly over to an airport would be a waste of the jetpack. <laughs> right, <laughs> that is true. That is true. Yeah, they might have Damn an it, issue Brandon. with you flying over the airport. <laughs> I, I was say, yeah, like, true. There's that. that like, and also, if you're not supposed to operate a car <laughs> right. after drinking, yeah, I think coming to the brewery via jetpack is also probably going to yeah. end really badly for me. I don't think you guys got my, my point was. Uh, <laughs> that is very, this is all very true. If I was if I was planning that, I will now plan differently accordingly. So, uh, yeah, take a lift. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, that is Marshall's advice. Marshall from Simple Machine saying, "Do not jetpack to our place. Take an Uber or a Lyft." <laughs> yes. So, but no, I'm excited to have you guys up in my neighborhood, man. We, we we're did excited a, to be here. Episode, yeah, we did an episode a few weeks ago. Um, Every time I've been in here or drove by, you guys are you guys hit the ground running pretty much, right? Yeah, yeah. It, How's it feel? You look uh, it feels good, awake and, and very alert at this moment. Ten a.m. <laughs> yeah. on a Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm here. I'm 100 percent here. Yeah, dude, that's awesome. So you're going to join us today. We are doing uh, what we called what do we call it? Sissified. We're getting sissified. We are getting sissified. We are all um, actually we are all now. The three of us are certified beer, beer servers. servers. Yep, we oh. are certified in BS. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. Stole Marshall's BS. joke. I'm sorry. Yeah. I've got to give credit there. <laughs> Was that your? Ah, oh, I didn't hear it. I didn't hear it. Man, that's. Right, we'll we had a good uh, a good pile on with with all the BS. Yeah. earlier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I don't know how much I explained to you, Marshall. I just said, "Hey, we're coming in. You're going to talk about brewing." I don't think we've told you about this this whole thing we're doing. I got a little bit of a, a brief on it. Well, they yeah, probably I, informed yeah. you that. My While I was to... uh, getting this terrific cup of coffee made for me, I got filled in on, on the whole history of, of the cast so far. And yeah. I pretty, uh, feel pretty special that you guys wanted me to come and talk. Dude. We, Glad you could join us, man. For sure. For sure. It was a plan. What we were planning on doing it take about three months to get this thing rolled out. That was a year ago, right? Yep. Yeah, <laughs> about a year ago. It sounds like opening a business. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, well, good point, though, too. With the coffee that we're drinking is not just any ordinary. They replaced my Folgers crystals with... Uh, yes, we did. <laughs> Ingledew finally brought something to the table. We, yeah. uh, 
for our literally yeah for our podcast <laughs> this morning we did bring the since it is 10 a.m. on a Sunday we decided to show up with some of our Colombian bean ready to go and uh, pour a cup for everyone who was here help us hopefully stay a little bit more awake and alert than we would normally be on a nice overcast gray lazy Sunday <laughs> yep. Yep. Post Christmas party Sunday. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sweating out the pulled pork and mac and cheese that. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. the meat sweats. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Uh, but dude, this is fantastic. Like, so I'm I'm a huge fan of, of black coffee. I, I like it. It's it's a lot of work to make good coffee, right? right. As you guys got the whole setup here. Um, I have an AeroPress, so I'll get you know some some locally roasted beans. I stopped that like six months ago because we got an espresso. So I'm like, uh, I'm going to put the pot in, hit the button, you know. So, yep. mm-hmm. But I like the AeroPress a lot more. And this this is great tasting coffee. So what the hell do you guys do? Brandon's it's magic. magic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's classified. Yeah. I tell you, I have to kill you, right? <laughs> that's right, that's right. No, it's just, I mean, the thing is, it's just buying. It's the same thing as everything. Just like beer, just like everything. You have fresh products, made fresh, served fresh, and it's tremendously better. <clears throat> I mean, when it comes to roasting, we just roast medium. So that, like, we're, like, fighting the good fight against bitterness and coffee, right? So uh, there's a shop on every corner out here, and their coffee is bitter, right? Coffee's not supposed to be bitter. There's lots of natural sugars in it, and the roasting process should bring the most out of it, not burn it to where nobody enjoys it, right? Yeah. So that's our goal is to make it sweet so that you, if you are a cream and sugar drinker, uh, you don't have to use as much. Sure. Right, so yeah. it should be naturally sweet. Have the flavors from the coffee, and then again, we're just pushing fresh. If you can buy it from somebody who just roasted it, it's gonna taste better no matter what. Just yeah. like beer is the same thing. If you have fresh beer from your local brewery, it's going to be better than you know way down the chain that's been sitting on a shelf for six months. You know, right. it's sure. Yep. Well, seems like a simple concept, but. But it's very hard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Simple and easy get interchanged a lot. Yeah. They really can't be. Yeah. That's, that's like very just true. Just because there's not a whole lot of steps does not mean that it's easy to get those steps right. Right. That is true. That is true. Yes. Well said. Well, you guys did a nice job with this. Thank, Thank you, you guys for the coffee. Glad to yeah. hear it. It's We're definitely going to leave you some bags to maybe give away to your audience, too. And maybe go. they'll make it to my audience. Maybe they won't. <laughs> <laughs> it's not unfair. I have no control once it gets into my car. Um, somebody else tries. Have you? We'll see if it makes you it pack to your, your car. Own car? Sure. <laughs> no, I did not. No. Uh, everybody, introduce yourselves. We didn't really do that oh, yet. Good, so we've got call. this gentleman right here, who is our guest of honor. And who are you? <laughs> uh, my name is Marshall. I'm uh, with Simple Machine Brewing Company. Glad to be here. The newest Arizona brewery. Yeah. On Deer Valley and... 7th Ave. 7th Ave, right across yeah. from the Deer Valley Airport entrance, right next to Habanero. Great. Habanero Fresh. Yeah, yeah. Really, really good food. So um, thank you for moving in here, Marshall. I'm going to thank you every time I see you. <laughs> no. yes. yeah. Thank you yeah. for being such a big fan. <laughs> yes. The North Valley has been in need of something for a very, very long time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's, there's nothing up here. And the airport is actually a really great spot. I yeah. mean, it's... it's you got lots of windows in here, so you sit here and drink your beers and watch the airplanes go back and forth. Like, this is a great spot. I really yeah. dig it. Thanks, man. Yep. Yeah, we dig it, too. We yeah. dig it, too. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, uh, sir, who are you? Oh, uh, AJ, <laughs> joining again um, from Inkledoo. Uh, I am not the coffee expert. I drink it, and I can now pour it pretty well. But yeah. Brandon's really our go-to on the yep. coffee expertise. Are you the beer guy? He is the For beer the guy. For the most right. part, yeah. Okay, I've yeah, been, yeah. 
been drinking it for a long time, and now that I'm a certified, sissified beer server, um, <laughs> I now have a bit more of the vocabulary to go with what I'm talking about. Yeah. But Yep, that's the goal, and that's one of the reasons why we approach you for it, is to build AJ's beer knowledge so that we would have a coffee guy and a beer guy, and then, you know, eventually we would like to have a wine person <laughs> at some point. I don't know when that will happen, but, yeah. um, I mean, those are our three beverages of choice, so... Yep. Um, we definitely wanted to build up AJ's beer knowledge and things around that. So, so far, so good. Have you yeah. learned some yeah. shit? There you go. Yeah. Definitely yeah. have learned a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, kind of intimidating going yeah. into it, but yeah, sure. no, it's it's great. It was a yeah. lot of fun, and realistically, there's not a whole lot of things that are more fun to study. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's what everybody says, "Oh, you're yeah. just gonna have to drink more beer." I'm like, dang it! Put in the reps, man. Yeah, putting in the reps. My wife's like, "What are you doing? Like, with all that beer? I'm studying, Jack. Working hard. Jeez, <laughs> yeah. Don't cramp my career. Yeah. Uh, no, she's a huge supporter, Jack. If you're listening, if you're not, I'm pissed because she doesn't listen to the show. But we'll, we'll, we'll get into that another time. So, uh, so the, our whole point with this this series is to kind of help people understand what it's like to get that first level, the certified beer server. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been lucky enough to have Crescent Crown uh, sponsor it and help us all. Not only thank you for that. Yeah, yeah seriously, that was absolutely. Huge. That was for them to cover the cost of it, but then help us. You know, within the first couple episodes to yep. uh, to understand. Here's what you guys need to do. Here's what need. Here's what's going to be covered, um, and. Uh, yeah, I think they had a good time hanging out with us mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, drinking beers at Helton. Well, they, they, uh, they do a good job with supporting their employees that want to go through the yeah. program, too. Yeah. yeah. yeah, And that's why we approached them. I can't remember who it was, but someone's like, dude, reach out to, I think it might have been Liz. She was yeah. like, reach out to Crescent Crown. Um, let's get them to get involved with this. And Matt Louie was like, hell yeah, dude. Like, let's, let's yeah, do this. That's yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so, Marshall, you are our Beer 101 or our Brewing 101. Expert. Ooh. <laughs> your, your eyes are like, what, what, hey, word, are you use? what word are you going to use? Uh, Bestowed well, the, upon you, sir. You are now yeah. an expert. Yeah. The rest of us primarily focus on the after it leaves the tap. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. And so really, we've got to look to you for everything that happens before it gets well, into I, our class. I, I started after the tap, too. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And one day you want to go back to after the tap, right? Yeah. 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 Someday. Yeah. Someday. Yeah. So what we're going to just, I guess our goal is to just kind of talk about what's it like from creating it, like from once you decide on a beer recipe, right? So your guys' first beer, I don't know if I'm, I can say this, but uh, Pale Ale, right? Pale Ale. Yeah, that's going to be your first uh, Simple Machine. You've done a couple collaborations, but this is going to be the first Simple it's Machine. first one made on site. Yeah. yeah. So maybe this will be a good one for us to talk about how how that's made, right? Because the process isn't a whole lot different from style to style. No. Right? So No, it's really not. So, uh, where do we begin? Well, so like, why when you were trying to decide what you wanted to be the the simple machine launch beer, why pick the pale ale? What was kind of the reasoning behind that? Well, every yeast ring that I that I'm going to be starting is is fresh, and anytime you have a new yeast, you don't want to go crazy with a beer. You could stress the yeast out, um, and then you you know if you try to reuse it, it might impart off flavors in the next batch. Uh, so I wanted something that was light. It's going to be about 5.2%, um, not too hoppy, kept the pH right where it needs to be, really simple water profile, uh, and I needed to learn the system too. So a beer like that is you're going to end up yielding a little bit better on it than, uh, you know, if you try to do a 10% beer right away, you're going to overfill the mash ton. You're not going to get a good mash efficiency. Um, so I, I also needed 
in case something is wrong, I need to be able to taste it. So if I if I went with an IPA right away, or the um, hops will mask a lot yeah, of things lot that of, could have gone wrong. Right, a lot of minute flavors would get would get masked by a, by a bigger beer or a darker beer. So Pale Ale was, uh, you know, it, it's a good prop up beer. It's the first beer that I wanted to put through the system. It's drinkable. Everyone can enjoy it. So say, it uh, sounds very accessible, but at the same time, you can't hide behind it. So it's going to push you as a brewer right. and make sure that you're on the mark. And then also, I'm sure that's one of the things, like I said, most of your general customers are probably going to come in and yeah. see Pale Ale and want that because they're used to drinking lighter beers, right. things like that. And, yeah. and on the marketing side, it's, you know, they come in. A lot of people have asked, like, well, what have you brewed here? Like, nothing yet. <laughs> but uh, come back in ten days. There yeah. you go. <laughs> uh, you know they'll they'll try it. I'm sure it'll it'll be a good first beer that people will they'll want to try it because it's in house, yep. and then they'll probably stay for another one because it. You know, if you came for an IPA and you drink a pale, you still want an IPA. You know? Yeah, yeah. So um, the main ingredient, right, is grain, right? So how walk us through like how you went through picking like what grains you're looking at, how you're thinking about it, what you do with them, like. That's one of the biggest, other than water, I guess. <clears throat> grains. Yeah, is like I would argue water is the, auger, the biggest okay. part. But uh, yeah, so any any new beer that I try to come up with, uh, it all starts with an idea. You have to think of the end product and how you want that to taste. I'm sure it's pretty similar with coffee, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then every everything you do, from building your water profile to selecting your grain to any techniques you do during brewing, the fermentation profile that you follow. And then what glass it's put in is all going to determine, you know, what that finished product is going to be. But you have to uh, imagine what it's going to be like at the end. Okay. So I start every beer with, like, the basic statistics of it, like the vitals, right? So you've got your, you want to know what the EBV is going to be. And you want to know what the color is going to be, uh, the IBUs. And then you, um, you know, you kind of work backward. So reverse engineer it to right. Yeah. So you yeah. set a vision of this beer that you're going to be drinking, and then deconstruct it. Exactly. And go from there. I like yeah. that. That's cool. So you think of you know like the pale. Um, mm-hmm. I just went through the recipe, so it's fresh in my mind. Um, you know, you think about. Uh, I think I picked uh, SRM of five, right? Okay. Who's SRM? This was on your test, huh? Not mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I did miss I, some questions, so I, also. So. I, I didn't get I didn't get asked that one either. Yeah. Thank goodness, as I just realized now when he looked at me and I'm like it, Marshall was almost pissed that we didn't know. He's like, What the fuck do you mean? <laughs> Wait a minute, are we allowed to swear on this podcast? This is Kelly's this is this is like <laughs> this is for the end of it, right? Yeah. So yeah. potentially like people will have learned what SRM means. We, sh- we they, should we should have, yes. They should. Yes. Yeah. It's like uh, standard reference measurement. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's color. It's color. Yep. You, have a, you have that look of disappointment on your no, face no, no. for me right yeah. now. <laughs> Freaking Eric. First was a two pack. I knew it was the measure yeah. of color, but <laughs> right, I did right. not remember what it I stood for the, at all. The important takeaway is uh, knowing what it is, not what it stands for. Okay. Okay. So yeah. It's yeah. color. It's the color of the yep. beer. Okay. All right. So Excellent. SRM of five is what, it, is what the target was on the pail. And. Obviously, if you're going to have a beer that light in color, it limits what malts you're going to use, okay. right? So you work backwards from that, and then you get an idea of what malts you want to put in it based on try to keep color in mind, but flavor is, is really the big part of it and okay. what you want to showcase. So in the pale ale, I went with a really simple recipe so that I could showcase the hops more. 
Mm. You know, make it okay. um, like a clean, clean beer that'll that'll let the hop shine through more. So then you can focus more on the hop recipe versus the grain bill. So there's only um, there's three malts in the in the pail. It's mostly a base malt, okay. which is has a low love of bond, and uh, it's it um, got a good coarse grind, which is like the amount of potential fermentable sugars that you can get out of it. Um, and then I threw in some white wheat, which helps with head retention. Oh, nice. Um, is that Sonoran white wheat? No. Uh, no, I I'll use, uh, I'm very proud to use uh, <laughs> proximity malt. Oh, okay. I, I get, uh, every grain I have in-house right now is from proximity. Okay. And they're a craft maltster out of Denver, and then they have a facility in Delaware, too. But, gotcha. Um, great products. Yeah, um, nice, man. So I use their base. Um, I use their base for this beer. Uh, their white wheat for this beer. And then I threw a little bit of Munich 10 in there. Um, just because I wanted a little bit more flavor profile. Okay. So uh, Munich 10 meaning it's a, a German malt, so... Well, or, yeah. Well, it's made by proximity. They, they grew it outside of Denver, but um, it's Munich 10 being like, that's the, that's the variety, the okay. varietal. Uh, it's grown, it was grown domestically. But, okay, okay. Um, and then the 10 is describing the Lava Bond, so... Okay. Um, that's, some companies don't list the Lava Bond in the name of it, but proximity does for most of theirs, so... What is that word again? Love a bond. Love a bond. Yeah, uh, that's the color. Okay. Okay. All right. So, do you guys, do you guys know this? No. Uh, okay. That, was, yeah, that is that yeah. is a few steps above what the uh, beer server text <laughs> covers. Yeah. <laughs> but now Marshall is so, preparing us for the yeah there for you go. the certified yeah. So yeah. Um, when, when you have a malt analysis, um, I pay attention to eight metrics when I'm building a recipe. Um, I calculate off of four of them, and then the other four I just reference for um, efficiencies. Okay. But basically, love a bond is like the degrees love a bond is is how much color it's going to impart into a beer. So, gotcha. if you've got like a roasted barley, it's going to have a really high love a bond. Yeah. Um, or like a. Do you, are you guys familiar with crystal malts? Like a crystal yeah. one twenty. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's one hundred and twenty degrees love a bond. So okay. it's bl- it's dark. Yeah. It's very dark. Yeah. So like uh, black IPAs and things like that would be used right. for yeah, yeah stouts. Yeah. You know, yeah. all your your coffee malt is going to be one hundred and eighty love a bond. Okay. You know? Yeah. Um, and they just measure that by how much light can pass through it. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. It's Munich 10 is 10 degrees love about. So Pretty light, then. Pretty light uh, color. It actually, uh, I had to cut it back because it, uh, the small percentage I put in was too much for 5 degrees SRM in the, in the finished beer. Ah, interesting. So, yeah. Um, I, had to, I had to switch it, switch more base malt just to keep the color right. So you got your, you know, now you put together the grain bill for this. Right, and mm-hmm. then but you said you wanted the hops to be the start. Well, maybe I guess maybe even we should back up to the water, right? Like, right. Like, uh-huh. how do you determine? Like, wh- where do you start with the water from the brewing side of things? Um, we made it. We made a very intentional move to to have an RO water plant here, so it strips everything out to uh, the machine only measures down to one part per million of total dissolved solids, and that's what it runs at. Okay. Okay. Um, which is fantastic. So basically, by the time it goes through the softener and the carbon filter and then the RO filter, uh, the water we're using is pretty pure. Yeah. So you could make beer with that. Um, and I, when I talk to home brewers, I usually tell them, uh, try doing the same beer with just RO. Don't add any salts or anything. 
uh, and it's going to be better. If you're using city water and you switch to RO, yeah. it's going to be better. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, if you're using city water and you switch to almost anything else, it will <laughs> probably be better. That's true. Yeah. Milk. Use milk. Yeah. Like, milk would be better than... Yeah. Yeah. Ant, ant milk. Yeah. <laughs> ant milk. Yes, exactly. That's good. You listened to that episode. Uh-huh. Nice, uh-huh. nice. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so then do you condition the water specifically for each recipe or yeah. do you just condition it to a certain type of water and you use that water across all of your beers? I, I'd like to do every recipe different. Interesting. Yeah. So um, then what kind of goes into, so like we use conditioned water for extraction and coffee. I mean, what different minerals are you using for different, like why choose different things for your beers? Um, I'll show, I'll share something with you. Look at this. Marshall has a folder. I look like it's just a bunch so th- of blank paper. In this there, is but. the page. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, don't look in the folder. Just uh, yeah. It's yeah like so, like this book is in there. Uh, this is the sheet I use to calculate salt concentrations for a, a given beer. Wow. Right? I have no idea what it, like. That's some deep chemistry science. It's actually once you once you do it, it it gets really simple. Okay. Yeah, uh, that's interesting. It tells you like which mineral. Well, I had to. Uh, I, I kind of took a note from Brian Helton, um, and. I made this almost like a worksheet. I love this. A so lot, I actually. Uh, Brandon's about to steal some of the house secrets. Well, I, well <laughs> it's, try and fold it's it up super exciting to me because, like, I did. I just went through this for our coffee, right? Mm-hmm. I was just using. Um, so this is proprietary paperwork, but I'll allow you guys to look at it for now. <laughs> I was just using regular water, and then I was figured out, you know, if we're going to spend all this, if we're going to charge people. Craft right. coffee prices it's like a, the yeah, water needs to be product. considered, yeah. And so we started doing these mineral packets that were like a dollar a gallon, and then figured out that there's guys out there that have created recipes for their water to heighten sweetness and different things like that. And I was like, oh, right, it's cheaper, better. It doesn't have calcium, so my equipment will last longer. Uh, it doesn't, you know, you're not going to get the deposits on there. I'm not going to have to descale it. And it heightened sweetness. I was like, oh, I should be conditioning my water this way to get these flavors, you know? Like, right. So it, it makes sense that we would condition it with intention and beer as well, but I didn't think that you would change that recipe from beer to beer. I thought you would just say, you know, all grain uses, you know, operates best with this these minerals, and it would just kind of be a flat water like coffee. Like, I don't need to change my water right. for my beans, so I didn't think that you would have to change it for your beers. Yeah, I mean, different different minerals at different concentrations will, will change your your final product. So if you're using, I mean, you can use the same water for all your beers, and they'll probably be pretty good. Um, but if you you know if you want your beer to a little be a little bit drier, or you're doing an IPA and you want to accentuate hop bitterness, you know, you can do that with minerals uh, and not have to use extra hops. So when a lot of it wow. is too to to and correct me if I'm wrong, but it, a lot of it is to replicate the way the water profile is in germany or yeah, on the west can, coast mm-hmm. or something to, to say a west yeah. coast style ipa is gonna you want that water profile yeah if you want if here. you want to do a you know a european style lager pull a water report from somewhere in europe and yeah. mimic the water yeah and you can you can add all the minerals back in that that you want for that desired source yeah so it's that's just fun to play I with dig that. that's cool yeah. yeah yep um so you got the water you got your grain yeah, so pile, right? on the first on the first front page here, what you really like, the top is where I'd pick all the uh, the malts, all the vital stats. Um, the salts would be last, but then the first thing you need to do is calculate uh, how how big your batch is going to be, right? 
whether you're home brewing or whether you're uh, on a 60 barrel brew house, you need to know what, uh, and you work backwards again. So if you want 60 finished barrels, then you need to account for uh, heat expansion loss, evaporation, transfer loss in between all the different tanks, and that'll give you your actual pre-boil volume, right? And that's what you need to calculate your recipe for. Um, mm-hmm. Otherwise, if you're, you know, if I'm doing a, I'm on a three-barrel system here. If I'm doing a three-barrel batch and I add enough hops for a three-barrel batch, uh, by the time, uh, you know, by the time the, the beer's actually finished, I've over-hopped the beer. So. What do you mean by, like, over-hopped it? Well, uh, you need to you need to calculate your hops for the actual amount of water that it's going to be in. Okay, okay, so, gotcha. that you start with, right. Not with what you end up with. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so I always start with how much water I'm using, um, and with how much water you're using, that helps you determine what how much grain you're going to use um, and what ratio you want that mix to be. And then it's kind of up to you know it's up to the brewer what salts you want to add. Um, okay. You. A big, a big reason for adding certain salts is, is balancing your pH. So, um, mine are, mine have been working just perfectly. Like my first batch was five point four, um, which is a. I usually shoot between five point two and five point four. But uh, what what does the pH? What effect does that have in the glass? Like what? Why consider the pH? Uh, the pH really matters more for efficiency. So it, it helps the starch conversions okay. in the mash. Uh, if you're if you're too high, you could pull some off flavors out of the grain that, that you don't want. Um, same with temperature, if your temperature's out of line. But, you know, you want to be between, on the very low end, 145 for, for the main rests, and on the high end, 158, 160. So, and then okay. keep the pH throughout, throughout the mash, too. So you're kind of creating, like, an ideal environment for the yeast to thrive. Like, for you're creating the, is, is that right? Right, like yeah. kind of creating the yeast isn't the, in it yet, but... Well, the, just, I guess, creating the, the right environment yeah. to, to allow... The process to yeah. To, so when yeah. you you know after you boil it and you cool it and you put the yeast in it, yeah, you can't tell the yeast what to do, right? But <laughs> if you create the same environment every time, you can make the same. They're beer. pretty predictable. Yeah. yeah, their behavior is the same. Right, and you get, we can get such pure pitches now. Uh, you know, there's no there's no concern that like if you order USO five, you're getting that strain. You, know, yeah. you don't have to worry about imperfections anymore. That's just not a thing. So. Yeah. Wow, interesting. Uh, not man. to get too far ahead. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you uh, you pick your grains. And uh, sometimes if I'm doing a really complex beer, I'll, uh, you have to know what percentage you want each one to be. ABV so, you mean? You mean like percentage that way? No, like what? percentage of, uh, of, a, of a total grain bill. How much uh, is, okay. is each grain going to be? Okay. So, you know, normally they're like 70 to 80% base malt. Are we making another? No, no, no. Oh, it's okay. okay. Sorry, guys. Cut that off. I didn't know if there's more coffee over there. Oh, sorry. No, he made each cup Brewed individually. Cup. I know oh, that is fantastic. All right, so we'll cut that part <laughs> out. Right? Sorry, Marshall. Continue. Uh, so yeah, if you have a if you have a hundred percent of your crane, you need to determine. You know, seventy eighty percent is probably going to be a base malt because that's where you're getting all your sugars from. Uh, if you're doing a stout, a small percentage, probably like five percent, is actually the dark roasted malt. A little bit goes a long way. Um, but if you take a kernel, uh, like. If you're if you're eighty percent base malt, take eight of those kernels, uh, one roasted kernel, and one or two of your crystal kernels or whatever you're adding, uh, and chew them all at the same time, and it gives you a really rough idea 
of how those flavors are going to interact together. Huh. Interesting. Wow. That's I awesome. like to do it that way anyway. I want to start doing that now. Like, this is, <laughs> seriously. Yeah. People, interesting. If they, if they don't uh, know that I do that, when they see me eating raw grain, they're like, the hell are you yeah. doing? <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I did that. There was somebody who walked by at the farmer's market, and he's like, can I just have one of those beans? And he popped in his mouth. I was like, what is this guy doing? Joker thinks he's judging my coffee by doing it. Then he left, and I secretly turned around, <laughs> put one in my mouth, and I was like, Oh, you can. It doesn't taste like the coffee, but it it gives you just enough to be like you're gonna get a certain flavor. Like you can tell there's a little bit of a brightness to it, or that's gonna be super dark roast. Like you can tell just enough of what the cup. You know, it's like a shadow of what the cup will be. So it, yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, <laughs> that is interesting. You need to do that as like a, as an option here. Do you want to do the brewery tour and the grain uh, eating? Thing? Yeah. I, well, I normally uh, if I'm doing a full tour. Uh, I'll, I'll pull grains out and show like people the difference between a, a base malt and a roasted, um, just so they can, and then they can taste them and like yeah. oh this tastes like coffee or this yeah. tastes like chocolate like yeah that's yeah. That's, the, that's what it tastes like I'm secretly <laughs> hoping that happens today I'm just yeah I'll, I'll, I'll let you mount out all the grain you want it, just get a bowl like it's cereal just. it's really hard to say yeah. you're secretly hoping for something when you announce it to the person yeah, yeah that's called that's called being passive aggressive that's what that is. <laughs> Uh, so okay, so, so yeah, then, pick then out your grain and, and uh, find out the water you're using, and then um, I, I usually do salts last. I'll put that on the ground there. Shaking. I usually do the salts last based on what hops I'm adding and how hoppy the beer is going to be, just so I can kind of play with the water profile that way. Yeah. And I'm not adding a ton of salts, so I've and most of them will will balance out what pH benefits they have, whether they're raising or lowering. So, um, and and a mash will, like if you strike in and you're high in pH, it will autocorrect itself to an extent. Interesting. So, okay. Um, unless you did something really wrong, right? Or or your water's not treated right. Or, yeah. Um, but my water's. I don't mean to brag. Yeah. <laughs> no, you should. But, <laughs> but yeah. our water, our water's pretty great here. So. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and then you have to decide what uh, what temperature you want to to mash in at. So, um, what does that? What difference does that make? Like, what? what how does that impact? So, in a, on a very general scale, the colder you mash in, the more dry your beer is going to end up. So, okay, if you you know you're making a beer and you mash in at 148 or 150, it's going to be a, a drier, less sweet, grainy finish. And if you mash in at 156 or 158, you're going to you're going to end up with a, a sweeter finished beer. Because you're just pulling. The heat is going to be a catalyst and pull more out of the grain. Uh, yeah, Ish. kind of. But what's really happening is uh, there's starch chains, and they're, they're getting broken down at a, at a lower temperature. They're getting broken into, into shorter chains more, that are more consumable by, by yeast. So oh, okay. the longer chain, it's too big. They, yeast can't consume them. So if you leave more larger chains behind, then you're going to leave more residual sugar in the finished product. That's super interesting. I know. It really is. See, this is really the method they should use to teach science in like high schools and oh, things. I'd have paid yeah. so much right. more attention. I, if. For sure. I would have been a biochemist at this point. Yeah. Actually, I'd probably still be doing what I, I would have quit my biochemist job by now to do this. But, uh, you know, but still, you know, yeah. Uh, so, and then where, where the, or so, do you have, do you have a question? Nope. Um, hops. Where do the hops come in? Um, as far as like figuring out what. It, on what the recipe, wanted. you mean? Yeah. The hops are really up to the brewer okay. um, and to the finished product. So, 
unless you're playing with an experimental, which is also really fun. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, then you, you just kind of rely on your experience and, and have in mind what you want to try. Everything in beer has to be intentional. If if you're ever making a beer and you're like, well, let's see what the fuck happens. Uh, it, that's not the way to do it. Man. Yeah. You're not doing it right. Right. You're probably not going to see anything good happen. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, uh, you know, you might see it happen, but you'll never be able to replicate it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, you might get lucky, you know. Sure. But just uh, the advice I give homebrewers all the time is act with intention. Every, every change you make, know why you're making it and understand why you're doing what you're doing in the first place. You know? So I know there's a, uh, one of the things that interests me most about hops is the different times that you use them. Like I know that you put them in this pot, at, you're going to get more of just flat bitterness. You do it at this time with these type of hops, you're going to get more aromatics out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you're starting with the vision of your beer in mind and then working backwards. But you know, like how do you consider what hops to use and what stage to get to a certain effect? Like what kind of thought process goes into making um, the decision? So one of those pages I gave you has uh, a utilization chart on it. And it it kind of tells you a rough idea of um, depending on how high ABV your beer is going to be. Um, I don't see it in mine. <laughs> You removed that because you thought we were going to steal that the one. The Hop Editions? That's one? the one. That's yeah, the, the one. last page. Uh, yeah, so it gives you this chart. So on the top, you've got your gravity. Uh, and then on the side, it's how many minutes you're using it. So most, oh, okay. homebrewer, most homebrewer books have this in it, have this chart. I just I copied it over here. Sure. So I have it all the time. Um, there's a lot to remember with beer, and I need to reference stuff every time I make mm-hmm. a beer. <laughs> um, so yeah, if you you know if you know you're making an IPA and you wanna you wanna showcase you know a really bitter hop and have it actually be a bittering flavor, not a not, like not an aromatic flavor, then you know you're gonna want to pick something that's high in acids, high in alpha acids, and put it early in the boil. So the longer it's in there, the the higher efficiency you're gonna get out of it. So if you put like Chinook, um, I think the Chinook I have on hand is like 12 or 13 percent alpha acid. Uh, you know, if you threw it in at 60 minutes, uh, most IPAs are probably going to be around 1070. So you're like 26%, right? That's uh, that's a pretty good number. And that you can calculate how many IBUs you're actually going to be adding uh, based on that on that hop at, the, at that time. Okay. Um, but it, it really comes down to what flavor you want to, you know, you want to make. So a lot of... Uh, you know, raise your hand if you like hazy IPAs. You know, yeah. a lot of those beers yeah. don't have bittering hops, so they're they all have it's a, a late edition, so there's no bittering edition sixty minutes in or ninety minutes in the boil. Yeah, uh, they're all thrown in at like five minutes or at flame out, um, because you're you don't want it to be super bitter. You want it to be um, like yeah, you know, it's an IPA. Sure, but um, you know, it's more floral. It's a lot lighter. Right. Um, whereas you go with like Stone Ruination used to be one of my favorite beers before they changed the recipe, and uh, it's just super bitter. I mean, it's yes. it's, a, it's a terrific beer, but it's so bitter, you know. Yeah. And it's got it's. I don't know how they make it for certain, but I can assume <laughs> that uh, you know they've got a lot of hop additions early in the boil, and um, they let it bitter out. Yeah. So then you have to decide. Uh, 
what you want your finishing hop to be and if you're doing a dry hop what what flavors you want to get out of that and uh, how much you you know how much you add is a, just a quick calculation between what the acids are and uh, what your volume is so that goes back to knowing you know your your batch size so if you're dry hopping in the fermenter you have to dry hop for the amount that you have in the fermenter uh, and most of them don't have sight glasses so you have to rely on your calculations to know like oh i uh i finished my boil at 110 gallons uh, i'm gonna lose four percent in heat expansion loss and i'm gonna lose five or ten gallons in in the bottom of the kettle because of the hop troop so i can expect to have this much wort in the tank and you have to hop to that amount so wow. so, so is it is it really that mathematical like, do you, is there no, like, X factor from it being an agricultural product? Like, you know, I get coffee, but if I get coffee that's six months old versus one month old, there's different moisture content. Even though it's the same bean and was picked at the same time, like, there's factors that go into it. It seems like this is so, like, you input this and it outputs that so clearly. Is it really that consistently, like, the math works out it's, that consistently? It, you got to trust your numbers. It's pretty damn close. Wow. Yeah. Uh I'm sure if you're using uh, five- or six-year-old hops and they've been sitting, even in cold storage that long, they're going to stale. Oh, what is this? Oh, look at that. <laughs> Man, I appreciate that. I thought he was going to bring us grains. Like I thought. <laughs> uh, you know, there, there is always going to be that, that agricultural aspect, for sure. So, okay. um, but it's, you know, there's... But that math is, works out. Malt is so modified these days that the, um, you know, the companies that make them or they do things to them now that they didn't do 20 years ago. So you, you get pre-modified malts, and it just makes brewing a lot easier. And it is consistent coming to you, so it makes your right. consistently your consistency right. tremendously easier. Not only that, I look up for every batch of uh, hops or grain that come into the building, uh, most companies give you a very detailed analysis, wow. like a lab analysis by batch number. So you just oh, get man. the batch number off the bag and look it up online and all that information is available. So then you calculate in what the variant is. Uh, so say I, uh, in three months I want to make this pail that I, that I have cooking right now again. And I order the grain, I order the hops. I've already got the recipe for it, but the numbers on those items, the raw materials are going to be different. And it's a really simple calculation to change it. But that, that's the world. Like that's the world of difference is adjusting your recipe right. that you know worked already for whatever new ingredients you're using. So, Because, you know, year to year, even seasonally, the grain has a different moisture content. Yeah. You bring it out to Arizona and it dries out right. very fast because right. we're not humid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah and, and use, your, use your ingredients quickly. I know um, before we fired up, you were telling me about the coffee bags. And, um, you know, you have to buy them in smaller batches so you can turn through them quicker. And you don't want to sit on a lot of raw materials for a long time. Right. If you want the freshest stuff, it makes a better product. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Now, do you think? And I don't want to put you on a spot, Marshall, but do you think? I mean, you you guys have a lab back there, mm-hmm. which you don't see at a lot of breweries. Um, the the science behind this, and, and I mean, I've known you for a few years now, and and seeing the places you brewed at, and know the the type of beer that you make. So you're like, in my book, you're top notch, man. Um, do you do you feel that there are you think there's a percentage of people that they're just like, eh, fuck all this. I'm just going to make my shit. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, because there's a that there, this is a very deliberate, and and I I don't want this once again to turn into the Brian Helton show because in your episode we just talked about Brian so much because he's so awesome. But that's the one thing I learned from from him through this whole thing is is the science behind it and this, the deliberateness of right. of all of this. Um, do you feel that there a larger percentage follow this, or do you feel a larger percentage kind of wing it? Are we just talking local? Yeah, yeah I would say in like, Arizona, like of a hundred Arizona breweries. Um, well, let me back up a little okay. and just say <laughs> uh, I had, you know, as a as a home brewer and as a young professional brewer, uh, I I was always trying to act with intention. I kind of I kind of came from a science background, so uh, it wasn't beer related; it was environmental sciences. But um, you know, I had that mindset already, and yeah. working for Brian is really what refined it. Um, and that's when I started doing everything by hand. Okay. Like I was using a lot of calculators before, like okay. online calculators and Beersmith calculators. Oh, yeah. Um, Where you can basically just plug in, like, it's it's a software program, right? right? And it just does all that work yeah, for you. Yeah, and, and you'll get similar numbers, but you have complete control this okay. way, right? Um, but to answer your question, I think more and more people are paying attention to it. Uh, I don't know. Well, I can think of a couple that I'm not going to name, but... Um, only a couple people say, "Fuck it, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do it this way." Yeah, you know. Yeah, um, I think most people just aren't uh, aren't there yet. They're, okay. um, they, I think they want to. I think a lot of people want to get there, and they're they're constantly making a better product, which I I can appreciate. Um, but it's just a, you know, I worked for I worked for the right people, and I had mm-hmm. I had the desire to do it a certain way, and uh, I've, you know, I think more more and more breweries are opening with. Uh, people who have more knowledge you know sure. uh, and the ones that are already open i think they're i think for the most part they're trying to do better job so yeah well and i think just the fact that there are more opening too because you can't get away with it anymore right yeah. like people don't yeah. have to go far to find a place that's going to do it right if it's not you yeah yeah you know <laughs> right like, yeah and being basically a native to arizona that's one of the things we've talked about before like i love the fact that that's happening because before it was like there are one or two places you can go, and other than that, you're just drinking the same chain stuff. And so if you're going to do something different, they could probably get away with being a little more lax because there wasn't the competition. Sure. Right. Whereas yeah. now it's like, eh, you know what, I'm going to go another half mile down the road and find a place that's really on top of their game. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. there's the kind of the mentorship aspect. I mean, somebody who – once we – now we have a few people doing it, quote, unquote, the right way, Right very controlled, very intentional, that's going to create more people wanting, they learned it that way. And so then they're going to go and they're going to do it that way. And so you kind of have that, um, I don't know what you call it. It's good momentum. Factor of multiplication, right? Right. You're probably going to have at least one or two people in the career of this building go out and start their own. And so one brewery just spawned two breweries doing it the The right right way. way. And they're going to impact people. And hopefully you would see, you know, continue to upward spiral saying, hey, don't just do random crap, right? Do it with intention and make good stuff that you're always proud of. Mm-hmm. And that mentality is more unique than we think it is. You know, like, I actually really like the question because there's a lot of us who we think we're doing it good uh, or as well as we know. Right. But we didn't know that there was a level above us. And then once yeah. we see that level above us, you're like, oh, crap, I was way behind the curve, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then you push it forward and then you get better and better and better. And so... Like you said, the respect of the journey is important, too, as long as everybody's pushing it. And then that also is part of the AZ beer community. They they talk 
And so you can actually talk to a brewer who's doing it this way and you can, you can see that, get that help or even, you know, like I'm sure if somebody reached out and said, Hey, I have no idea how to math this out, but I want to, like they could probably reach out, reach and, out yeah. and give you a call yeah. and say, I can at least get you started. Right. Right. Tell you what book to read in the very least. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you'd be so. excited. I could see you being excited about that. Like, Oh yeah. Dude, I, Another brew that I love, I love the spirit of, of sharing knowledge and yeah. if it, if it means it's better beer in the state. Yeah, and it doesn't yeah. hurt do you because do nobody yeah. is ever going to make the beer that you make. Like, right. you could give somebody the exact same product, like all the same grain bill, everything, they won't make the same beer you do. So Definitely you can not. give them yeah. all the knowledge, they're not taking away from you, you know, because you are you and you're going to make your stuff. And that's why it's good to, to keep sharing that. So I really like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that wraps it up right now. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been fun. Yeah, yeah. So well, we're now we're now where we at? We're in the boil, right? So that's the let, let's back up a second. So you got all your ingredients together. You got you know what's going to go into the beer. What is really the first step for you as a brewer when you get to the equipment? Like how does to that, start a batch? To start a batch, yeah. Uh, I like to set myself up the day before by, by prepping everything and milling the grain and uh, pre filling the grain, meaning gr- grinding it up, cracking like it open. It, cracking yeah. it open. Yep. You want to crack it? You don't want to smash it. Okay. Yeah, you know, and um, it's true for coffee too. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't want to pulverize it. Don't want to pulverize right. it. Just like want you don't to crack use it open. A blade grinder because it just messes it all up. But yeah, the burr grinders. Yeah, just crack the beans and so that you have uniform shapes and more even extractions and things like that. So yeah, yeah. yeah and you're increasing the surface uh, yep. a little bit more by okay. by opening it like that. Uh, but if you pulverize it, you, uh, you're you're going to lose efficiencies. You're going to you could have the potential of uh, extracting things you don't want out of it. Um, so there's a tip. Uh, check your mill gap. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I try to do that. And then you come in, depending on the time of year, you preheat the equipment, um, calculate what your strike water temperature is going to be, and uh, mash it in. And my, my rule is if it takes you more than 10 minutes to get mashed in, uh, something's wrong with your equipment. You need to move it faster. <laughs> yeah. So what, can you define exactly what mashing in is yeah, for the listener um, that doesn't know? Yeah, so mashing like in is when you're adding your adding your grain and your water into the mash tun and making sure it's stirred into one solution. Okay, okay. Like and is day. it starting it's starting to heat up at that point then too? should already be warm. Your water okay. should already be warm. At the temperature when the, you want the, your temperature to be not at your ideal temp. Well, I guess not at your ideal It has to be higher than what you're... Uh, than what you want your mash temperature to be. Oh, gotcha. So, okay. So once you, you add that, cool the it. grain in, it's going to cool it down. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And each system's going to be different, and depending on the ambient temperature of the grain, uh, you're going to, you know, you could lose a little bit more than normal. Or um, So I do the, um, something I learned from Brian Helton. <laughs> it is. It's turning <laughs> oh, into the house. Here we go. Brian, he's just sitting back stroking his every uh, <laughs> yes. Every day, like, you can, you can prep, you can... Um, pre-mill, be ready to, to mash in the morning you get there. Um, but depending on what the temperature was overnight, uh, the grain's going to be a different temperature, and your hot liquor tank is going to be, uh, might need to be kicked on, you know. Yeah. Uh, but you have to, that's the one calculation you have to do before you mash in, is what your strike water temperature is going to be. Okay. And you just have to try, trust that number. Um, and it, depending on the, the amount of grain and the temperature it's at, and the, uh, the temperature of the equipment it's going into, you have to just do a quick calculation in the morning, and then you can start mashing. Gotcha. So you okay. mix all of it together. I add, uh, I hydrate my salts. Uh, the, the minerals I add back in for mash, I, I hydrate it and add it in stages throughout. And then um, depending on, you know, if you if you want to, you can use rice hulls, and, and they uh, they don't impart any flavor, but 
they make the uh, they space the mash out a little bit more, so you get a better a better efficiency, a better rinse when you sparge. Okay. So I use them in just about every batch. Uh, you said rice hulls. Rice hulls. Okay. Yeah. 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 Just well, the holes off of rice. Yeah. Is that like a natural filter type of thing? Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and they're super cheap, and they they boost your efficiency. And I mean, they pay for themselves. So. Yeah. But it doesn't have any sugars or anything. It's, no. You're not extracting. It's just the hole. So it's just just a, the holes. Just the yeah. fiber, basically, and it's yeah. soluble fiber. Okay. Yeah. Uh, lip lipoids. Lipoids. Whatever uh, cell walls are made of is pretty much what. Sure. Sure. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> So you got the boil going, right? Now it's in, in so how you, do you, yeah, you mash it in, you let it sit. Um, it's up to the brewer how you know how long they want to let it mash. Some guys do a what's called an iodine test, and you can check and see if conversion's finished or not. Uh, with modified malts, it's usually done in about fifteen minutes anyway. Um, and then you do what's called boiling, where you let the the sugary water, which is now considered wort, uh, gravity feed out of the mash tun and then you push it back up on top and you use that the grain bed as a natural filter so you run it until it's clear um if you want to you know to, you want to clarify the beer number one but you also want to make sure that the heat is evened out uh, throughout the mash and uh, it sets the grain bed so when you do your runoff you can rinse it and not uh, pull anything through gotcha so what's you, that called again Forloff. I thought that that was like when people like have fake swords and stuff and they fight like in the woods. Was that? Or oh, that's LARPing, huh? Yeah, same, yeah. same concept. <laughs> Other than Sir Boyd yeah. <laughs> Like I knew that was part of the brewing process. Man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we usually don't foam sword fight until boil, but. Again, it's up to the brewer. Yeah, it's up to the brewer, <laughs> to the brewer. When, you wanna, when you want a foam sword fight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I keep pulling this thing way off track, man. Uh, yeah, I'm just trying to do the hundred foot view of the, of the mash. So, and then once once you've uh, boiled off to a, to where you're satisfied with the clarity of the wort, then you send it or start sending it over to the kettle. Yeah. Um, as you're as you're sending it over, uh, once the the level in the mash tun drops low enough, you start sparge, which is where you're just putting clean warm water uh, on top. Um, you know. Most people just add it at about 170, any cooler or hotter, and you run the risk of rinsing um, things you don't want out of the grain. That will end up being off flavors in the beer. So you're just trying to wash everything out of the grain, not pull anything extra out. Correct. So like the stuff that was residual in between, you just kind of want to push that through to the bottom. Yeah. 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 And that's how you get your total boil volume, too, is you sparge until you know you, you either already rinsed all the sugars out. So I, I check it periodically to make sure I'm still pulling the proper amount of sugars through the grain. Um, so I'll either cut it when I hit the when I get the sugars I want, or I cut it when I hit my boil volume. And if you calculated your recipe right, they should be about the same time. Um, so I did two batches so far. First batch, uh, I had to cut it a little bit short because I didn't use rice holes. Um, second batch, I hit it exactly because I added rice holes. So. Yeah. That's thing. That's what you're learning with this new system you have, right? You're, right. You're learning it's, the system. It's, it's really small. I um, I bought rice holes thinking I would use them, but I wanted to try it without yeah. <laughs> to see if I could. You know, it was a light beer. It wasn't very much grain. Yeah. Um, but I needed them, so yeah. Now I'll put them in every batch. Yeah. <laughs> now you know. <laughs> yeah. Now you know. Yes. Well, like I came off a. Of, uh, you know, the last system I brewed on was twenty barrels, so yeah. I would add fifty pounds of rice holes to a twenty barrel batch, uh, and here, are, you know, all these two hundred pounds of grains. I was like. Maybe I can get away with it. Yeah. Couldn't get away with it. No. You could have. Yeah. Some people don't use them. Um, I don't know why. I don't know why you wouldn't use them. But I'm just going to add them to every beer forever. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, so that so you got that the water the the everything comes through. Um, you got the grain, the spent grain there now, right? Yep. And that's where you. And there's multiple things. I, what I love, like some of the breweries are giving it to farms, and uh, there's so many different uses for it, right? I mean, you could eat it like I've eaten it like oatmeal. It was really good too. It shouldn't have any sugar left, so <laughs> it shouldn't have been very good. Yeah, no, it, it, it's like a like a like a basic like not because I don't like sugary oatmeal. I like just bland kind of you know. You're a grits kind of guy. Yeah, aren't you? yeah, yeah. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Now was it dark sky too? So who knows what the hell was in it? You know, all right, could have been cookies. <laughs> yeah, exactly, but it was delicious. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, you got the spent grain and and. That, there's a lot of that at times, depending on the size of the brewery, right? right. I mean, so you got to have some sort of systems in line to yeah. Farmers to will take rid- it. You can usually yeah. find someone to take it for free. Yeah. Um, don't don't pay someone to take it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. When I when I was a home brewer, I would just throw it out over the back fence, and birds will eat it, and animals will eat it. Oh yeah. Um, some people I know use it for um, mulching. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. They'll they'll, uh, they'll do that. So. It, it starts to turn real quick. So Does you, it? You need to do something with it. Uh, it gets kind of soury. Kind yeah. Of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so now you're into the into the kettle, right? Yep. So, so now the... you've got your, your total boil volume. Uh, if, you, if, you, if your system's capable and your system's designed right, by the time you're at kettle full, you should be almost at a boil. Okay. Um, if not already boiling. Um, my system is a... I've got a little bit of lag in between kettle full um, because it, I, don't know, I could just run off so quickly... It's such a small system that uh, the the burners I have take a little bit longer to get it to boil. So that's that's uh, gives you like fifteen or twenty minutes to, to foam sword fight. Okay, <laughs> uh, I, that's where you fit in. Okay. Yeah, that's where it is. Looking that's, at this chart, I'm like, well, I don't yeah, yeah. I don't see the foam well, that sword. came full circle so perfectly. Uh, <laughs> oh, jeez. No, that's usually I usually uh, you know you can prep your tank, you can sanitize your tank in that time, or you can uh, there's always there's always something to do. Uh, oh, Andrew from Copper State Chemicals is calling. What is that? Does he know that they're that we're talking about? I'm busy, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> now he's he uh, that brew stand we have he fabbed up for us, and oh, I right. buy all my chems through him. Yeah, he built me a 75 gallon bright tank that I'm going to use for special little variant batches and barrel carbonating. Um, he wired my pump. He built me a pump card. He built my bottle filler. Like. Nice. I've gotten a lot of stuff from from him, so yeah. Maybe you should have answered that then. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, he doesn't answer. You're on the podcast. Yeah. 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 Let me put him on speaker. Yeah. Um, so, so, so wort uh, wort so, is the post boil, or is it w- w- when it's considered wort? Uh, Pre boil. Pre boil. Okay. Yeah. All right. Once it's out so, of then the, you yeah. you boil it um, during boil. You add hops, depending on you know if you want to, you can add entire pies. Um, which people have, yeah. And, uh, they but s- pretty much, you yeah. you, you know that you add hops. Uh, if you want to add a, uh, some sort of molasses or, or honey, you know you can do that for big beers and kind of do it at the end. Um, people put all kinds of crazy shit in a boil. <laughs> yeah, uh, but you know, I, I add. Uh, I only have a couple additions, and it's you know hops are one I'll throw in. Depending on the beer, I might add some sort of sugar. Yeah. Um, Dextrose, or you know, dextrose, if you want to boost your ABV, because um, it's the simplest sugar, so it's it's, it's a grade yeast food, um, like like uh, like Durant's for yeast. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's not Domino's for it's sure. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, so, so when people throw stuff like that in, into the boil, is there is there a process then that filters it once again? To, I mean, there's got to be chunks of shit in there. Yeah, right? I add a some sort of flocculant, a fining agent to the okay. boil, um, and really that just gathers large large proteins and okay. vegetative material, leftover hops, and it helps drop it out to the bottom of the kettle. Okay. Okay. Um, so that's the only other thing I add normally, okay. um, and then. Post boil, you know, you whirlpool it, you stir it. Um, this little system has what's called a, t- a tangential arm, so I could use a pump to whirl it around, uh, but I just use a paddle. There's yeah. no reason to hook another valve up and get a hose yeah. up. And, right. Uh, it's three barrels. It's not like I'm, you know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Everything's a workout. Got to get the upper right. body workout in. And yeah, and uh, I mean, we just got our paddle from uh, from Walmart. You know, so we oh. use a river boat paddle. Nice. <laughs> really? That's awesome. Man. That's awesome. So, uh, so yeah, it's all yeah. it's all boiled up. You lose you lose some volume there. Um, you guys are, I don't know if this is part of the BS certification. Um, <laughs> did they make you know like the reasons for a boil? Not no. really. No, it's uh, what I noticed a lot of it was probably about a third of it was beer styles. Like, right. Oh yeah. Questions. Well, about if you're beer serving styles. it, yeah, yeah, it's important. Yep. Yeah, you got to yeah. know. Super high level uh, for the brewing, but oh. not, when taking the test, you have to know more styles and things like that. Styles, origins, temperature. Uh, yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of like where is like where is a you know um, a check logger from? You know, that was a simple one. I got yeah. that one wrong actually, but <laughs> uh, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty high. It's pretty. Um, pretty surface level on the like even um, okay. matt was even like he's like dude you guys don't even need to do anything really about the brewing process but we to kind of put this all together as a full circle yeah. thing we wanted to to do this um, oh that's cool yeah yeah um so now we now now you got the work right you got everything so let me what is i've never really understood what i do know is i love dry hop beer mm-hmm. i don't know exactly what dry hopping is though what is that what is dry hopping compared to other hopping um well most hopping is done in the boil, right? Okay. So if you're bittering or if you're doing flame-out hops, the aromatics of hops will flash off real quick, which okay. is why you want to add them later in the boil. Um, some people will knock their wort down to, like, 180 and then throw the hops in okay. uh, as a finishing hop in the boil uh, in an attempt to not flash off so many acids. Um, but dry hopping is done usually post-fermentation, um, uh, for for certain styles of beer, you can, uh, and I've done it before, where you, you know, you add hops into muslin bags, and tie them into the fermenter, and then you put the fresh beer in there, and it actually goes through primary fermentation with hops. Okay. Um, but dry hopping, on a general sense, is where you're literally just adding dry hops to a fermented beer. Okay. Uh, so none of that is, none of it's cooking off. Um, you're getting you're getting a really really high aromatic value yeah from using hops like that it, to me it gives it a really fresh like smell like the, the aroma yeah exactly that's, that's what you're yeah. shooting for yeah. yeah um some beers don't need them like you're not going to dry hop a brown ale right probably you <laughs> yeah, know exactly um i'll do i'll dry hop this pale ale just a little yeah um because i i did a very small bittering hop addition um two and a half times the the amount i added in for finishing hop okay on this beer and then uh, I'll, I'll dry hop with kind of the same hops. Yeah. Um, 
Is that too loud? You want me to kick that down no. a little bit? No, I think it's good. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm jamming, man. This is it's my style. Cool, cool. Yeah, is. we put it on for you. So. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, so, so, uh, and I've heard that double dry hopping is kind of a misused word. Like, what is exactly double? Like, people are just dry hopping it. Double dry hopped is. Yeah, they're adding more. double the amount. Uh, <laughs> yeah, where people think it's all oh, I do. They do it twice. Like it's you know d- they. You can, um, yeah, you can add, you know, say you want to dry hop it uh, right after primary fermentation and then you want to do it again in the bright tank or uh, right before you, you know, a day before you rack it out to the bright tank or you want to add, uh, do it at primary fermentation temperature, you know, 68 degrees and then you crash it and then you do it again, you know, Um, there's... You get enough brewers in a room, and you, you could have them argue for hours on what temperature you're supposed to dry hop at. Yeah, yeah. I find a, the process in almost everything is so similar or the same for everybody. So everyone is looking for a way to differentiate themselves. Yeah. And they'll say, oh, I double dry hop. You're like, well, you're just doing the same thing everybody else is. You're just calling it something so that you – like I yeah. talked to a, a coffee person recently, and they were like, oh, we only get coffee that's roasted above a 6,000 – elevation of 6,000. And I was like <laughs> – what? <laughs> yeah, that doesn't make any sense. They're like, yeah, because the elevation changes how you can. I was like, that sounds weird to me. <laughs> you know, so I reached out to somebody, and they're like, no, they just people need something to sell, and they sure. they're in Colorado, and so they're selling their elevation as making their coffee superior to everybody else. But heat and beans have one output. Like, there's no, <laughs> you know, yeah. like small changes. Yeah, air and things like that affect it, but the process is the same no matter what. But they need something. To, they're the same as everybody else. So you need to find something to say I'm different. And so they take yeah. common things and make them sound special. Right. And then you talk to a brewer and you're like, oh, I got schmoozed by somebody. Who <laughs> stuff, you, know? like, you got triple dry hopped beer. No, you didn't. <laughs> well, I, like, I, I hate the phrase uh, session IPA. Uh, oh. Yeah, yeah. Because it's just a dry hop pale ale. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. Or maybe a double dry hop pale ale. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I had a really, really good session hazy IPA yeah. somewhere. Oh shit, that's here. Yeah, that's here. <laughs> I got a good one right now. You uh, do. Dude, my wife, my wife does not like IPAs. She loves that beer. Yeah, yeah. She's like, oh, as shit. much as I don't like the term, I have, I I have to use it. <laughs> yeah. like, right. That's what people will know. You know, and it's kind of become its own style. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, maybe I'll just call this one a session pale or a session IPA. Dry hop the fuck out of it. <laughs> you should do a you should do a non alcoholic beer and call it super sessionable. Yeah, yeah. you can drink this all day, infinitely, all day. infinitely all day. sessionable. You can drink this in the car on your way to work. Oh no, no, no. Oh, no. brewers are starting to sound like mechanics. This is not good. Just counting on the ignorance of the customer. Oh, no. But like you said, though, like I think like ninety eight percent of the people. That works for them, right? Mm-hmm. So you come in, someone comes up like, oh, yeah, our, our beans are only from 6,000 feet or higher. Holy shit. Well, yeah. they wouldn't and, tell me that if it didn't mean something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> the marketer's yeah. laughing his way to the bank. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we got everything. Now Now the the boil is over. Where where do we go from here? We take it, uh, put it through a heat exchanger, knock the temperature down as quickly as possible. Heat exchanger is kind of like that coil, not coil, but... It's got plates. It's a, okay. it's a plate chiller. Okay. Really, um, you put the boiling wort through one side. I guess at this point it's young beer. Yeah. You put it through one side, and then you put cold water through the other. They exchange heat on in the plates. There's a, a series of plates, a good number of them. Um, and then by the time it gets through, you can knock it to whatever temperature you need to by controlling the controlling the flow of the cold water or the 
the boiling wort. So, uh, is there a certain time period that it has to like you can't it, cool it too fast? Is that right? Or you can, or, there's yeah, the faster you can cool it, the better. So you do want to cool it as fast as possible. Yeah. Okay, okay. So those really, heat exchangers are yeah. Like post boil, you can you can let it sit um, above. You know, you want to keep it above 180. Don't let it. It shouldn't cool below that yeah. um, unless you have uh, like a major equipment failure somewhere. Yeah. Um, but you're, you know, as long as it's still that hot, if anything falls into it, it's going to be instantly sanitized. It's because okay. it's still boiling, yeah, right? Yeah, so, gotcha. Uh, it'll kill microbes. But once it's cold, um, it can't see open air again until it's poured into a glass. Uh, okay. So it's cool, goes through the heat exchanger and then into the, the fermentation tank? Yeah. Fermenters? Yeah, yeah. straight through. Yeah. Uh, and, during the boil, you um, you're knocking all the oxygen out of out of the solution. So we put fresh oxygen back in line as it's as it's transferring through, because um, yeast needs oxygen to to respirate and to ferment. So um, that happens at the same time. Okay. And then usually, uh, I'll pitch yeast from a brink in line as it's being knocked out too. As long as it's coming through at the right temperature and it's the right temperature in the tank. Uh, for you know, if you're lagering, you, you're probably knocking to 50 degrees or 55 degrees. If you're doing an ale, um, I like to pitch around 65. So I'll, I'll pitch at 65 and then let it come up to 68 or wherever I want to, you know, what profile, how fermentation profile you want to follow for the given beer. Okay. Um, the, 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 I oversize the the plate chiller I have because we're planning on upgrading the brew house. So on a, the three barrel batch, is, um, I can knock out in like 15 or 20 minutes. Okay. It's pretty phenomenal. Yeah. Nice, man. It's so, three barrels of beer. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Which is, okay, that's another thing, too, that that uh, kind of took me a while to, I say it took me a while to figure out because it's not super complicated, but uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say. What What is a barrel? like? So so what is a barrel measurement? Because people always say, you know, we have a three-barrel brew house or mm-hmm. whatever. Like most people understand kegs. Right, they understand like a normal size keg yeah. is fifteen and a half gallons, and that's technically a half barrel. That's a half barrel, which is confusing because it's a barrel, but it's a <laughs> half of a barrel, right? Yeah, right. But the standard keg is fifteen and a half gallons, but that's a half barrel, right? Yeah. Right. Okay. So okay, when we were talking about on the production side, we say a barrel it's thirty one gallons. Okay. Um, just it's just like America, right? Yeah. To run on a on a system like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, a lot of traditionally trained brewers and guys who go through school, guys and gals that, that go through brew school, they'll deal in hectoliters. Ah, uh, interesting. Um, okay. Uh, but, you know, even the TTB charges you on barrel production, not yeah. not liter production. So um, it's just a, it's just our unit of measure. So What is your size? What is your size? Our brew house is a three-barrel system. Okay, okay. Uh, but we're into 10-barrel tanks, so I triple batch to fill them. Okay, so when you're making a batch, you're basically creating six. What am I doing the math right? Six kegs of beer right? for a three barrel batch. For a three barrel yeah. batch, yeah, it would be yeah. six half barrels. Okay, so every time you brew, every time you go through that process, you're basically creating six kegs of beer. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, All but right. I'm you know triple filling, so I'll end up with uh, just over nine barrels in the tank because I run the batches a little larger. The, okay. the tanks are a little oversized. The, the brew house. Um, so we're hoping for. 18. Okay. 18 half barrels out of a 10 barrel batch. Gotcha. Or a 10 barrel tank right now. Okay. All right. And what is the, what's the biggest system you've worked on as far as like uh, for a uh, It was a 20 barrel brew house is the largest I've ever brewed on into 40 barrel tanks. So it was okay. a, just a double brew to fill it. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. That's the largest okay. I've ever done. Yeah. So the last biggest thing on the brewing is the yeast, right? So you said you, you pitch the yeast. Like, <clears throat> I mean, we know that there's lager yeast and ale yeast, mm-hmm. top and bottom fermenting. and But then from there, where do you go? Like, what do you consider when you're looking at yeasts? Is there just two types or is there plethora of oh, there's a, impart yeah, there's a ton of them uh and you know it just gets easier and easier for for brewers um because you can go to white labs or fermentus and they'll have descriptions of all their yeast strains and the temperature ranges and what flavor they'll impart at different temperature ranges so if you haven't used a strain before and you're curious and you want to try it uh, do a little bit of homework on it, and you can probably pick one that'll get you the flavor you're looking for, wow. per you know per style. And you know some of them, uh, some of them perform better under stressful situations like high ABV or uh, extremely hoppy beers. You know, so you need to pick your yeast based on that. Um, and then most, I mean, a lot of brewers just run like Cali Ale yeast, California Ale, um, or Fermentus's version is USO5, which is the it's a super resilient strain. Uh, you can use it over and over, and you can use it in a, in a bunch of different styles, a bunch of ale styles, um, which is the one I started with. Again, just to make to make a beer-ass beer and see what the system's going to do. Right, beer-ass beer. I love that. <laughs> I asked him that because he's brewing. Like, I sent him a message on Instagram like, dude, what are you brewing? He's like, a beer-ass beer. <laughs> I'm like, hell yeah. I don't know what that is, but yeah, sweet. But he's like, hell right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And well, the, and the yeast adds that, like you said, it adds that that flavors like uh, the what is it, Heffen Heffenweizen uh-huh. yeast? It has the banana and clove, and so you know. Yeah, I mean, right. and they, they kind of lend themselves to those flavors. Okay. You can you can stress any yeast strain and get banana flavor. Uh, Usually, it's considered an off flavor. Sure, yeah. Um, but if you get just the right amount, you create the perfect condition. You hit the right fermentation temperature, and the yeast will do what you want it to do. And yeah. Uh, you know, you just like I said before, you can't tell it what to do. Yeah, um, but you can you can pick the right strain and give it the right environment. Yeah, but then there's the other side of it too when it comes to like Britannomyces and mixed culture, and then even wild ales, right? Like that's 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 the shit that excites me, right? Is like just you know I've I've gone with the wilderness guys a couple of times on the camp cool ship and just a huge open trough. You see bugs and shit in there. You know, right. like, what? Just this brownish water. But it's collecting all of the bacteria and like the stuff that is native to that specific area. You right. know? Um, but that but there's a reason people don't do those type of beers usually, right? What is what is that reason? Oh well it, it, you're never gonna be able to make the same thing unless you're harvesting whatever bacteria or yeast falls in there and you prop yeah. it up and use it again. Yeah. Um, which you know, I, I plan to do eventually. Yeah. Um, lab's a little rudimentary right now, but I want to get there. Nice. Uh, but the yeah. other thing is, you're you're risking infection. Yeah. Massive, massively risking infection in your in your brewery. Yeah. Um, I uh, I can't remember who told. He's probably Brian Helton, but uh, <laughs> we'll give we'll give him credit Safe for that. He he, uh, he said there's uh, you know two, two types of breweries, um, ones that have had infections and ones that will. Uh, wow, interesting. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't know if he said it, but 
probably. We're going to give him credit for yeah, it. Yeah, it sounds like so. He should pay you every time he says his name on the <laughs> No, this is, this is free advertising yeah. for him. Drinking game. Every yeah. time you hear yeah. Brian Hound's name, <laughs> take a shot. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. This is going to be a rough episode. Yeah. Uh, Don't listen to the podcast. You get a little bit of bacteria in the air. Your air conditioning just sucks it up and then just spreads it throughout your brewery, right? So, I mean, then you – how – Hard would that be to control or to uh, well sanitize out or? There's a ton of bacteria everywhere, right? Right, um, which is why once you once you knock that beer out and get it into the fermentation tank, those are sealed vessels. Um, so I could I could pour bacteria on the outside of that tank, and it's not going to affect what's inside as yeah. long as my uh, protocols for not a know, recommended move, right? But you could, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a ton of bacteria on it right now. You know, yeah. grain dust is right. full of bacteria. And it gets everywhere, even though we have it in a separate room with an exhaust fan. It gets on your clothes, and then you walk around, you touch stuff. Uh, you know, people shed skin, and there's bacteria on your skin, and uh, it's it's everywhere. You yeah. know, so you have to trust your cleaning procedures and trust your lab procedures that when you are dealing with uh, potential bacteria or infectious, potentially infectious things, you know, you, you just need to trust that you're doing it right. And, uh, again, act with intention. I was going to say, there's, it sounds like you probably got to have quite a robust, you know, SOPs and, like, yeah. follow all of these steps that's all written down and there is no deviation from this because if you misstep something, you're going to screw up a whole bunch down the line. Yeah, you could potentially, yeah. And, uh, you know, a, a, a big problem um, one of the major breweries had, they were, they were getting infected uh, – infected batches and it took them three weeks to figure out that one stainless line had a pit and in that pit uh it was too deep for the cleaning chemicals to go through so every beer that went through was picking up just enough of this bacteria to have the same infection interesting right so you have to maintain your your equipment you have to inspect it regularly um the lab right yeah we're going to do a lot of swab testing and qaqc protocol to, to make sure that um you know, we can if we do find something, we can address why it's there, how we, uh, you know, can avoid it. Um, I've never lost a batch to infection, but uh, if it if it happened, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised. You yeah. know, like uh, you're dealing with uh, billions of microorganisms that you can't see, uh, and I mean they're they're on your body. Like right. <laughs> people have right people now. have fermented beers with with yeast from beards, you know. So. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 and other things too. I yeah, there's been yep. some interesting. There's been some stuff. <laughs> yeah, been some stuff. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, that's why when you when you're tasting off of the off the, uh, the fermentation vessels is you know you have that spray right. You can pour out of the little faucet and and then you spray it to just make sure that right. Um, and what and once again. Brian Helton, I saw him do. This is just a few weeks ago. First time I ever saw it, he lit it with his lighter. Yeah, like lit. And I'm put, like, dude, put alcohol in there and light it. Yeah, and I'm like, dude, what is that? I'm like, that's awesome. I've never seen. It. He's like, you should see it all the time. <laughs> you know, right? Brian's mentality is like, dude, no, the more people need to be doing. I have always seen people spraying it, right? But right. lighting it on fire, do it even it just looks cool and it's super <laughs> effective, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it does. It does look pretty cool. It does. <laughs> um, and some places just use like a mild sanitizer and. Uh, you know, you can't use a sanitizer that's too harsh in a brewery, yeah. and some of them are. Uh, it takes about thirty seconds to be effective. Uh-huh. So, uh, if you if you're just spraying and then opening the valve, you could have just infected your batch. Oh, yeah. you don't. You know, if you're if you're not doing it right. Interesting. So, interesting. Um, and I actually switched recently. 
uh, last year. Uh, like Brian Helton keeps a bottle of uh, isopropyl and sprays it in, lights it on fire. Um, I keep a burner that I can just torch a sample port with. Oh, nice. Uh, and then I switched all my bottles over. I use isopropyl at 70% dilution as, as my sanitizer and spray bottles because it's uh it's immediately effective and uh there's uh you know less chance that it, something's going to live yeah <laughs> i want to destroy no everything yeah go destroy. scorched earth yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so now we got the beer sitting in the fermentation mm-hmm. right um yeast is in yeast is in i mean it can be anywhere from what 3 weeks to 8 weeks 10 weeks right uh, I mean, if I, you do lagers, yeah, I turn most of my ales in uh, probably like twelve to fourteen days. Okay, from from brew day to glass. Yeah, um, at least I was on the production side. I might slow that down a little bit here because I, you know, I don't have CCD orders to keep up on. Okay, yeah, <laughs> um, and you you know, just give it a little more time if you have it, uh, and yeah. it helps clarify and, and a good finished product. But lagering, you know, on a on a good side, you're rushing it at five weeks probably. Okay, uh, six seven weeks is usually what I would try to do if I could keep the tank full that long. Yeah. So you just, you just, and that's where I've heard people say the, the, at that point, then the beer tells you when it's ready. Yeah. Pretty much right. yeah, I, yeah. I, I check them every day. Um, monitor when you see it bubbling, when you see it stop bubbling, check the pH and the gravity every day. Uh, just make sure that it's, you know, it's doing what it needs to do. Yeah. It, so where is it at that point? Like once it's, once it's done in fermentation, like, where like is it carbonated at that point is it it's it just flat it's flat flat yeah beer. it's but flat but it has alcohol in it yeah <laughs> uh, but it's still not very drinkable yeah <laughs> and how then, do you make it drinkable uh carbonation helps a lot okay um yeah. getting the yeast off of it so that it's not sitting on the vegetated pile um for a while okay you don't want it to sit plus you want to pull the yeast and so you can reuse it and make sure like count that make sure it's viable yeah um and then you you know get into a finishing tank, um, assuming you already dry hopped. Uh, transfer it through a through to the finishing tank or the bright tank, and then you can carbonate it, and from there it's it's ready to go. Nice. Just tastes like uh, cold beer in a fermenter. Just tastes like cold flat beer. Like yeah. if <laughs> yeah. if you opened a beer and poured it into a glass and then left it in the fridge overnight, that's pretty much what it tastes like. Okay. Okay. Like, gotcha. It'll still get you there. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. you don't want to waste it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. No wounded soldiers. Right. <laughs> so, um, so how, how do you carbonate it? Like, how does, how is a beer typically carbonated once it's in the finishing tank? We, um, we do, and, and it's pretty common for breweries to force carbonate beer. Okay. Um, home brewers, you know, if you're just starting out, you're, you're probably doing it uh, with some sort of conditioning sugar. Okay. And your bottle conditioning. Um, if you guys heard of bottle bombs, yeah, you add too much sugar and the residual yeast makes the bottle explode. Yeah, yep. Um, uh, when I bottled, I would add the add the sugar to the into the bottling bucket and then rack the beer into it so it was evenly distributed, and that that kept me from ever having bottle bombs, which okay. was nice. Uh, but here we force carbonate, so there's um, really like these porous stones that um, are in the tanks. You put them in there before you put the beer and purge it, uh, and you just force CO2 and uh, under pressure CO2 will bond mm. with hydrogen. So uh, that's how you get your beer to carbonate. Um, some people, I know, like College Street, they'll 
close off their tanks a little early before fermentation is totally done. Uh, and they're on in 60-barrel tanks, so it's going to take a considerable more amount of CO2. But if you, like CO2 is naturally produced during fermentation, so they'll close it off and build pressure up in the tank, and that some of that CO2 will bond itself into the beer. So when they put it in their bright tank, they're already slightly carbonated, and that, oh, interesting. that saves them a lot on CO2 costs. Is, uh, is there a difference in the taste when it comes to complete forced carbona- uh, carbonation or something like College Street does? Uh no, not no, okay. no not that's uh, negligible. Just, you know, just if, a you're, if you're process. bottle conditioning a beer, you're yeah. going to have something different. Like yeah. uh, a lot of Belgian style beers are bottle conditioned. So when you you know you open them up and you pour them into a glass, and they're incredibly bubbly, mm-hmm. um, oh, which okay. can be fun, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, but sometimes they're so bubbly, based on how the bottle was treated, that uh, you can't really taste the beer. So um, that's what I was going to be. My question is. How do you decide how carbonated you want it? I remember like when we really first started this and I was analyzing things like carbonation, I went to a brewery on a little island off of San Diego and everything was super carbonated. Like it was really weird. Like I got behind like an IPA was super carbonated. I was like, okay, I can get behind that. And then I drank the, like the porter and it was super carbonated. And I was like, that seemed weird to me. I was like, maybe it was just my experience. Got a bottle from them, and it was super car like <laughs> super carbonated. I felt like a frat boy afterwards, like, just <laughs> yeah. burps and everything. Like it was like Alka Seltzer kind of. It was but, but, yeah, crazy carbonated. And I was like, I, I don't know why they chose that for their beers. Like, why would you choose to carbonate at a certain level, either high or low? So we use a uh, we use a tool by a company called Zamenagel that measures how carbonated a, a liquid is. Um, I'm really glad that we have one. There's there's more expensive ways to do it, and there's cheaper ways to do it. Um, but I think this is the it's the most affordable way to make sure that you're doing it on a professional level. Uh, it's all, some breweries do it with calculation, and um, that's kind of the, one of those times where you can calculate it all day, but you're not going to get the result you want. Um, and they just do time and temperature uh, and pressure. And that's, you know, you calculate out how long you need to let it sit under pressure at what temperature, and that's how you get your carb level. Um, and I, I haven't seen that in a successful uh, situation yet. Um, <laughs> it's a pretty nice way to say that. <laughs> yeah. Successful situation. So if, if there's, you know, that's one of those things about breweries not checking their carb level, then... Uh, you, you're just you're ruining something that could have been good, could have yeah. been, could have been perfect. You don't know that because you're because <laughs> you're not finishing right. You know, yeah. you've yeah. waited two weeks for this moment. Why would you? Why would you ruin it with yeah. that? Um, yeah. But it, it, that's just I think one more of those things that people don't know yet or people haven't gotten into yet. Yeah. Um, but it's a decision that you make. Like I want it to be this carbonated, right? Yeah, and, and depending on style, you you want it to be more or less effervescent. Um, you know, and we're we're not talking real elves. We're just saying like regular carved beers, you know. So I, I like uh, my lighter style beers to be just a little bit more bubbly. Okay. Uh, same yeah. with some some sours that I do. I like them to to be that you know that effervescent and that mm-hmm. crisp, and yeah. uh, it helps dry out the finish a little bit. So uh, if you you know bump up your IPA uh, like 0.1 degrees for, or volumes, then it um, you know, it'll dry it out and the hops get accentuated a little bit and it's, uh, 
you can't just do it to taste, you know. It's, uh, and then on darker beers, I usually go a little bit lighter, just because you know I want this, those subtle notes to come through and like Belgian, smooth, Belgian yeah. style beers. You know, I want them to to be really subtle and smooth, and um, and it's it's up to it's up to the brewer. It's up to I like to have um, every new beer I put out. Uh, I use a a pretty basic judging sheet, and I get everyone to sit down with a, a pint of it, and you go through each category. Um, started doing it because of Ryan Helton. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like that's where we were going with this. Yeah, um, but I, yeah, but I, uh, you know, he was a good mentor. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Still is. I can call him with questions. Um, but I, you know, we would do it every once in a while. I, I learned from that, and I did it for every batch, every batch of every beer we made. Um, since I've been away from Helton, I've, I've made everyone in the building sit down and try this beer. So you've carried that tradition into, into which will be this as well. Exactly. I can take yeah. my jetpack, come over. I can jetpack over here. Yeah. I'll be part of the committee. Yeah. yeah. Get here in time for the foam sword fight. <laughs> we'll sit down, right. sit yeah. down and have a, a beer, and I'll make you can go Can I have an there. application? <laughs> I would like to work here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this sounds like exactly the place I want to be. Jetpacks and foam swords. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Everything that they didn't ask me on the career aptitude. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yes. Well, then you would be a perfect brewer. All right. Yeah. Cool. All right. All right. Yeah. Nailed it. All yeah. right. Well, you in um, you have two dedicated lines for nitro as well. Right. Right. So that's, I mean, CO2 is not the only gas that is going to carbonate a beer. Right. Like uh, Nitrogen won't really bond in, in so beer. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Correct. So that's good. So what is, so what is the difference then? Between uh, CO two will stay in solution until it's okay. uh, agitated out, whether that's by physical agitation or uh, temperature. If okay. you heat it up enough, it, it'll come out of solution. So uh, you can see it bubbling in the glass constantly right. from yeah. the bottom. Yeah, and yeah. eventually, when the you know something warms up or it's exposed to open air and it's not under pressure anymore, CO two will come out of solution. Okay. Um, you, we've all had a flat beer, right? Yeah. Yep. yep. <laughs> uh, but nitrogen won't won't bond with okay. with hydrogen in solution uh, even under pressure so it it works great as an inert gas to purge like hot bags are, are usually purged with nitrogen um or, or co2 but um it's uh you know i i push with a mix it's 75 nitrogen 25 co2 okay so the the and some people with uh longer draw systems at uh, at bars you'll have to switch to a mix um, to push, but the, the dedicated lines I have, um, they're the beer's going through a membrane, almost like an oxygenation stone, and it's putting the nitrogen in solution as the beer's coming out of the keg. So the beer in the in the kegs that I'm serving is uh, below 1.2 volumes, which means it's it's pretty flat, uh, a, maybe a little bit of natural carbonization, but it's not conditioned at all. And then it's getting the nitrogen added as it's coming out. So that's what's uh, you know the cascading effect is. I was gonna say I just poured like when I was taking my cicerone test, I poured a Guinness, and that's exactly what I was thinking. It's got that really cool cascading effect. But then yeah. once you get past the head, I mean, it's there's not a lot of bubbles in it no. after right. like yeah. Guinness isn't bubbly. It's not, yeah, it's yeah, not at a bubbly all. beer. And I never really correlated that, and it's the same thing with coffee too. They they you know, there's always the nitro cold brew, but it's really just all it does is it just makes it pretty. For a little while, and then it goes back to being coffee. Yeah. Once it's done cascading. Yeah. Yeah. What's the benefit of it? Like, why? Why did you specifically want to have two nitro? We wanted to 
showcase beers uh, that you can't normally find. Okay. And we wanted to do it right. Like, uh, I'm not a huge fan of drinking nitrogen beers, personally. Um, the flatness of it? Like, yeah, I like it, effervescent beers. Yeah, and, yeah me too. Um, but, you know, nitro, we want to we try it and see if we can uh, put the same beer on nitro and CO2 and let people do side-by-sides and see... Uh, you know what what the difference is going to be um and i want to try it with a bunch of different styles so um i'll pull off a couple uh, i won't do it with the pale but if i do a brown or an amber next i'll, I'll probably try putting one on nitro just to see what that's like and then i'll yeah. carbonate the rest of the batch and i'll let people do a side by side and see uh, well this is the taste difference like here's the kind of subtleties that are in the beer um when it's on nitro and then this is what the actual product tastes like when it's carbonated. And they're totally different products. Yeah. They're totally different beers. Yeah. Because uh, it, it hits your palate different. And it um, the effervescence, effervescence from CO2 really changes the taste a lot. Um, but we you know we wanted to do it right. If I, if I was going to do nitro, I wanted to do it right. And it was a little bit of an added investment up front. But yeah. I think it's worth it. Heck yeah, man. I, I, I'm not... I, I, I am a big fan of carbonation, so like nitro beers are usually n- not my thing. But there's, I've been starting to find some that I really enjoy. Um, the shop it, it does one now. It's an affogato white stout, mm-hmm. white coffee stout. I don't know if you've had that one. Not yet. But it was on nitro. It was only on nitro. I'm like, huh. And they're like, just try it. I'm like, all right. I'm like, holy shit, that's good. It's right. really because it just matched the style. And what I like about the shop, too. Have you guys been to the shop? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, you guys being coffee guys, you know, yeah. Jason, the the – the head brewer there has that 10 year coffee background of starting up his own, you know, coffee truck and uh, a, a coffee shop and all this kind of stuff. Right. So when you have a coffee beer, it's not like the latte version of a coffee beer. It's like the real, like yeah. good coffee beer. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought I was going to go in there and be all judgy. And I looked into their brewing station. I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. No, they know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you see like their Chemex like at, on their oh, yeah, table like and all, stuff? Yeah. yeah, just all their equipment. And it's you know it seems silly, but like you can always judge like a, a coffee shop by their grinder. Oh, interesting. <clears throat> and there's yeah. like there's the people who know what they're doing, and they know that the grinder is super important. Yeah. So like, you can always judge a coffee shop by their grinder. And so I was like, I was good. Yeah. Yeah, I, was, I was good. Not that my opinion means anything because they don't freaking care. But like, but I they would, do though. Like coming yeah. from somebody that that knows coffee. They would appreciate the fact that you're like, dude, nice, nice yeah. work with that. Yeah. Nice, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, so we got the beer. The beer is beer is ready. And one of the things I really love about what what you guys are doing is the glass matters, right? So glass matters. You, your yeah. beer is ready to go. Uh, you've ready to serve. Now you, you just all of your beers are served in a shaker pint, right? Hundred <laughs> percent. It's like you fucker. <laughs> we'll sword fight your face off. Uh, <laughs> uh, but no, you have. What do you? How many? Nine. We eight? picked nine glasses, nine including glasses. including the shaker. Yeah, yeah. Four water oh, and soda and soda. Yeah, yeah. yeah if somebody wants a soda. I'll put it in there. Okay, but that was a big thing for you. Was not only making the beers that you know best representation of that style, right? But also when it gets into a glass, that impacts it as well, right? Right. Yeah. Well, wow. you guys probably know that. Yeah. We right? Do, based right. on our Cicerone certification. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like you were saying earlier, too. It's that idea of you put how much time or when you've got other people's beer on your taps, like, you know, they've put right. how much time into it. And now, because 
you're just going to grab the closest glass. You're going to go ahead and cheapen right. that experience. It's like, no, no, that's so many hours of <laughs> loving attention and detail and now some schmuck who's <laughs> getting like slightly better than minimum wage is just going to go ahead and grab a yeah. whatever glass happens a potentially, to be in arm's reach. A potentially and, dirty tumbler. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, Get a Bianca pizza and he puts it on a paper plate. Come <laughs> on, dude. Like, <laughs> you're better than that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, what, how does it affect? Like, how, do, how did you choose the glasses that you have? Be, because not no, like, cause you know you're going to run through a range of styles. Right? right. So how did you choose? Well, What did the glasses do, I guess? Um, per the you know per the traditional styles of glasses, um, you know they they say there's a style of glass for every every style of beer. Uh, obviously, we can't afford that because yeah. <laughs> um, proper glassware is expensive, yes. and we're young. We're yeah. a young small business, <laughs> yeah. so you know we, we we tried to pick glassware that we could put two or three different styles each into, and without totally bastardizing the beers that whole do no harm thing yeah <laughs> so we uh you know we uh we picked kind of a tall wheat wheat mixed with pilsner glass um that's my favorite one by the way yeah for a new for style, right? kind of a lighter yeah it's, yeah uh for libby it is i've never seen him really before i've seen glasses in similar style but this yeah. one has kind of sharper edges like a um you know, which made me think of a Pilsner flute. Yeah. Uh, but it's kind of got the bulb at the top, which made me think more of a wheat glass. Um, and it, it just helps having that having that bowl at the top helps with aroma. Mm-hmm. Um, and it the tall thinness, you know, kind of limits the the surface exposure of the beer. Um, but when you tip it back, you can it's really coating the inside of the glass and. Uh, for lighter style beers, it just works out really well. Yeah. So we're gonna, you know, we want to put all our our light beers and wheat beers will go into that glass. Uh, I've been pretty happy with it so far. Yeah. Um, I'll let you guys try it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have to try all nine of them actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and it's and it's a the way a beer is poured. You want to agitate it a certain amount too, and uh, we we oversized glasses like that one's oversized. It's nineteen point one ounces. I'm pretty sure. 18 and a half or 19.1 but we you know we went through and we poured 16 ounces in all our glasses to know where the fill line is for a proper pint and the rest is all head so you get this pretty sizable glass decent amount of head on top and it's still a proper proper pour nice um which we you know i don't like going into a beer or a bar and getting a beer in a shaker one because it's terrible for the beer but uh two if they if they pour it right into the shaker you're losing like four, three or four ounces of beer because those yeah. are wider at the top. Yeah. Uh, so by the time the head settles down, you're you're paying for a pint, but you're you're getting twelve ounces probably. Yeah, they do that on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Or they fill it all the way to the top with no head. Right. Right. right? Which yeah. is equally bad for the beer. Yeah. 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 But better for uh, value. For sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm less bothered by that. Yeah. But, still. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, it was it was big for us to keep portion sizes. Um, because we wanted to line price all our beers across the board. And, you know, the IPA glass that we picked, it's the closest thing we could really get. It doesn't have the ribs like a proper IPA glass is supposed to have, but it's, it's called a craft stacker. And they're becoming more common. And they're, they're kind of a, a decent glass for any style because um, we tasted 
other beers in different glasses just to see what it was like. Uh, and side by side, you know, they're, um, those glasses, they work pretty well for, for beers. Um, they're a little bit more expensive than the tumblers, but if I walked into a place and that was their only glass, I would be less disappointed, you know? Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they're 16 ounces to the top, so when we serve them, we're actually only serving 14-ounce pours. Okay. Um, so what if our bigger IPAs are going to be in that glass, uh, and that's how we keep it line-priced. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it is, it is intentional. We want to we wanna pour it properly for the, for the sake of the beer, have it in a, a glass that is semi-right, for the style, it's not exactly, yeah. you know, but yeah. it's close. Um, it's what we can afford, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then serve it, you know, as as proper as we can. Yep. Well, because some beers have like um, like the IPAs, the glasses, like you said, has an agitator, right? Like it's something that kind of agitated a little yeah. bit to kind of release some of the aromas and stuff. And surface area too. That's yeah. a, that's a huge part of it. The surface area. Uh, with the, then coming up into a smaller to kind of concentrate the aroma. So yeah. Is that pretty Yeah, accurate? and yeah. Uh, like regular IP glasses are really thin with the ribs at the bottom. And every time you tip the glass back, it's knocking more and more CO2 out of solution um, just from the bottom shape of that glass. So we couldn't find anything that, that did that exactly, but uh, the ones we landed on are pretty good. So. Nice. Oh, sorry. <laughs> My wife is texting me. Oh. Freaking Jackie. I can talk <laughs> shit about her because I know she doesn't listen to the show. Uh-huh. So hopefully that lady doesn't know her. Sorry. That's my mother. That's my mom. Is that your mom? Yeah. Ah. Miss Marshall's mom. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, I think we can pretty much wrap up, right? Yeah. I think we got Marshall. This was amazing, man. Thank you so much for having us here and thanks for. No, thank you. Yeah, guys. I learned a ton, man. Seriously. Absolutely. It was great. Yeah. yeah. I hope I didn't rant too much. No, it was too. perfect. Man. No, I wish you would have ranted ranting. more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we could have got no, Brian Houghton a little more, but. Yeah. You know. Yeah, Brian Helton. Uh, Brian Helton. Brian Helton. Brian Helton. Yeah, there we go. The obligatory oh, 40 So mentions. many drinks. It's like Candyman. So you may, uh, say Brian Helton's name three times in the mirror and you'll grow a beard. It's like, <laughs> what it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, almost killed Brandon. I know. Yeah. Brandon yeah. almost fell off his oh, chair. Literally though. almost fell out of the chair. <laughs> uh, but dude, thanks, ma'am. No, I, I really yeah. appreciate you guys putting me on. Uh, you know, full disclaimer, I've, I've got a ton left to learn myself. Um, every day, there's, you know, I'm always trying to act with intention and uh i really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you guys about this yeah um it's fun it's fun for me i love doing it so heck yeah man heck it shows yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah uh so simple machine brewing company deer valley seventh avenue right yep southwest corner heck yeah come up here you guys are open every day but monday right, right? at this yeah. point yeah we open at three three tuesday through friday okay close at nine during the week ten on friday ten on saturday yeah. Or 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. on Saturdays, and then 11 to 6 on Sundays. Excellent, excellent. Come up here. Right now you've got a great selection of all Arizona beers. Mm-hmm. Stuff you can't, like, I've not seen the Sedona Beer Company. Yeah, we had to, had to go chase those down. Yeah, yeah, yeah but I'm glad you did. I'm yeah. glad you did. This is cool because you can come up here and get a good range of uncommon beers, beers that are not commonly outside of the tap, the breweries that are making them here in Arizona. So nice, nice work with that. And is, is that kind of, even once you get your own beers going, you still want to do some other random beers from Arizona? Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've got 14 handles. Uh, I'd like to have 10 hours all the time. Yeah. And uh, I want to get a, you know, a rotating North Valley collab going with the other, with the other breweries up here. Um, nice. Maybe like once quarterly at, at a different brewery. Yeah. So I want to feature that. And if I ever do a collab with a different brewer, I want to be able to feature one of their beers yeah. uh, alongside it so people can mm. try something else of theirs uh, just in the spirit of community and yep. get like people that. to, you know, 
like Throne. A lot of people um, still don't realize that Throne took over over there. So yeah. uh, I've got four Throne beers on, including the collab that we did. Yeah. Um, and I feel like we're doing a good job helping people. Like Throne, what? Where's that? Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they're yeah. they're great beers. I uh, they are, and also a good spot to go get coffee on a Saturday morning. <laughs> yeah, yes. from yes. to noon. <laughs> Tell us more about that, please. So, no, Carlos over at Throne has graciously allowed us to uh, do a pop up shop over there. Saturdays we open from eight to noon, so there's an hour of overlap there where both Throne and coffee are available. But yeah, every Saturday. 8 to noon, if you want coffee, come in and get it. And if you come a little bit later, then you can go straight from coffee into beer, and it makes for a perfect day. <laughs> when does it start, the, uh, the coffee? 8 a.m. So we're there already. Well, yeah, 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 we've yeah. been there for about a month now. Sorry, <laughs> you meant like day. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, no, no. yeah, we're there. So, yeah. And we're Excellent. working here pretty soon. We just bought a, a new bean for a collaboration, so he's going to use our coffee in one of his stouts. And so we're super excited about that and uh, going to run a promotion there. So... Any other uh, beer folks out there need a coffee collaboration? Uh, <laughs> let us know. Let me know. Yeah, we'll, we'll get a bean specifically for it and see what we can do. Cool. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thanks, guys. All right. I know that was a long one, and it was a deep one. Lots of heavy material in there, but a lot of good material that will really... Uh, if anything, help you appreciate what it is that brewers do. I mean, we just get to enjoy the beverage. They have a ton of work behind the scenes that we don't ever get to see. So I'm grateful to Marshall for uh, opening up his shop and sharing that with us. And so, again, please like, share, follow, tap that AZ, but also Simple Machine and Inkle Do. I hope you come back for the next episode, which is pairing beer and food, which is really what we all are looking for. And with that, we'll say adieu. Mi minera preciosa, y cuando se va de casa, 